It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thanksgiving night, November the 27th. My name is Greg Gwynn, and we're glad to invite you to join with us for an hour of Bible study here Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. We have a, a couple of special guests with us tonight. Jacob is out of town, and so I've got a couple capable fill-ins. Jim Walsh, our good friend from Mount Pleasant, who often participates with us on the program via email and phone calls, is uh, here to join us. Jim, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you, Greg. And Jim's son, Brian, is also with us tonight. Brian, glad to have you on the Virtual Bible Study. More than glad to be here. All right. We uh, always look forward to the participation of our listening audience, and we want to immediately give you our contact information. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address, and we field uh, our emails constantly throughout the program. So if, if you have a thought or a comment, by all means, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. And, of course, you can give us a phone call, and it's toll-free, 877-381-4567. There you can see the contact info on that sign right there in front of Jim and Brian. And we'd be glad to have your participation in the program tonight. Please, by all means, feel free to participate. We have, a, I think, an interesting topic tonight, Jim. And uh, I guess uh, we kind of thought of this simultaneously. When I suggested it to you, you said you had already been thinking about a lesson along these lines, talking about all the tough economic times that are going on, and we're hearing about that in the news constantly. How should we approach that as Christians? What does the Bible tell us to do when we're facing uncertain or difficult economic times? You you said that you had been thinking about a lesson along that line as well. Yeah, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, when you sent your question, and I thought this is exactly what I was thinking, uh, all of us questioning what are we going to do as we face different, different difficulties in life, and as life presents these difficulties, we find there are economic problems, there are family problems. So what are we going to do? And I think everybody's thinking along those lines. You know, we've even gotten to the point now where even if we don't have stocks, we're almost stock watchers. You know, yeah. we want to see, has it dipped today? And if it dipped, how far? You I know? never I never watch the, the, the Dow Jones industrials. I never pay any attention to that at all, but I've found myself looking on the internet to see what it did today oh, just as uh, yeah on my on my front portal page for AT&T you know at the bottom it's got stocks and and I usually will look and say oh well it's up today or it's down you know yeah because so. we're we're it's almost like watching a sick patient in a deathbed what's their vital signs and we we're I wouldn't go that far you but, no. okay. <laughs> but but you do you watch you watch the, you do. the stock report yeah. as maybe an indication mm-hmm. of where's the economy heading and, uh, it, it, of course, it's been crazy for the last several weeks, and it's gone way down. Uh, I'm like you. I, I don't worry about 
stock investments because that's not that's not something that affects me seriously but but it is an indicator that certainly we are in some difficult times right and that's what i think we're thinking about it's an indication of how businesses are doing it's an indication of what our government's thinking about and it is an indicator of what the future may hold so everybody has that on their mind and it's it's somewhat normal during this time of year anyways as people get closer to the end of the year and you begin to review what things have gone on and you begin to think about what the next year is going to hold if if the if the news we're getting at this part of the year was somewhat negative, it does cloud our vision of the future. Yeah, and Christians are not immune from that. I think we are all uh, concerned about the future. We're concerned about jobs, about uh, security, about being able to pay our bills. And Christians are certainly not immune from that. And I think the Bible understands that we will be affected by such things. That that this is part of life. It's a reality. And I think the Bible tells us the right way to approach it. That's what we want to talk about tonight. Right. And if you think about it, you know, the Bible is not dealing with one group of people in one place during one time period. It's dealing with God's people through many different ages. So those people have good times and bad times, and God counsels us through his word how we're to deal both with the good times and with the not-so-good times. Exactly right. So we're wanting to look to the Bible tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, as we always do. We're interested in the Bible, what the Bible has to say. And we're dealing with this question about how should Christians view these tough economic times? How should they deal with it? Earlier today, I sent out a couple of questions to our update list. We always remind you, you can get on that list by just sending us an email, questions at collegeview.com, and put in the subject line, add me to the list. We'll be glad to do that. But to our update list this this day, about midday, we sent out these two questions. Number one, what mistakes do you think that Christians might make? When faced with tough economic times, such as the loss of a job or a financial reversal of some sort, what do you think are some of the mistakes that a Christian could make? And and maybe we could go further. What do you think some of the mistakes are that Christians are making or have made when faced with such difficult economic times? That's question one. Question two was, what are the most important biblical principles that Christians need to remember in these times? And so if you have not sent us a response, do so by email or by a phone call. We're going to talk about the first question first, and that is what are some of the mistakes that Christians can make when they're dealing with difficulties, when they see hard times? What are some of the mistakes they might make? And uh, we, we want to discuss that. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Give us a phone call, 877-381-4567. Uh, I might start us off by reading an email from our friend Randy in Jackson, Missouri, who says concerning mistakes that Christians might make when faced with these times. Number one, he says they think they can borrow their way out of the problem and take care of it later when times are better. You know, that's a real problem, Jim and Brian. People are people are going seriously in debt. Uh, and getting themselves in more trouble instead of, of helping their situation. I, I always hear Dave Ramsey on the radio say one of the first things you got to do when you're in economic trouble, if you're in a hole, quit digging, quit, quit making the hole deeper. Right, right. You know, it does seem that sometimes people think that if I can just do one more thing, and they don't step back and they don't say to themselves, well, is this going to make things better or make things worse? We don't practice enough of the idea of thinking about our actions and what the consequences might be to those actions. A lot of times there's just a knee-jerk reaction saying, I don't have enough money, I need to get more, how am I going to do it? Instead of thinking along the lines of saying, well, if I get more money, if I have to borrow, if I have to take out a loan, what are going to be the consequences of that? Can I pay that loan beginning next month? That's right, because as Christians, we'd be obligated to 
be honest in paying our debts. Uh, and so we've got to be, instead of borrowing, thinking we borrow ourselves out of trouble when, in fact, that is likely to get us in more trouble, we got to be careful to realize that we are we are to be good stewards of what God has provided for us. We're to be honest in paying our debts and making good on the promises that we've made financially. And so to borrow more when times are tough is probably a big mistake, not only from a financial point of view. We're, we're not here to offer financial advice tonight. We, we should point that out. If you're right. looking for Dave, Dave Ramsey's not here tonight. That's right. And <laughs> if you're looking for financial advice, you probably better look to someone other than me. That's for sure. But we're just saying from a biblical point of view, borrowing when you're already in trouble is not only financially unwise, it's spiritually unwise because it's putting you in a greater predicament in in regards to being honest and paying your debts and keeping up with your obligations. Right, right. And again, you know, uh, I think it's Proverbs 22, verse 7 says that the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. So what it does is it places us again in another situation of being obligated to someone else for a problem that we may not be able to fix. In Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul said, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The, the principle there of owe no man anything, we might comment about that. Someone might take that to mean, well, I should never borrow any money at all. I shouldn't even have a mortgage on my house. Uh, I have to pay cash even if I go out to buy a house. I don't take that verse to mean that. If if I have a mortgage on my house and I am paying on time, if you were to ask the banker, does he owe, is he owing? Is uh, The banker would say, no, he's current. You know, he, he's where he's supposed to be. He, right, he, right. I think that I think the point behind this is, is don't be in debt to anyone at such a point where you cannot provide. You know, when we take when we think about the concept of a loan, we take a loan out and we make an agreement according to a contract that the lender will allow us to repay that loan over a period of time, so many payments over so many months or years. So as long as that contract is still valid, we are not in debt. So I think part of what uh, Romans 13 verse 8 is saying is do not be in a situation where you are owing someone and you cannot make the payments. Exactly right. But I think also the principle here really is, is, is dealing with the spiritual principle that we recognize, but we're making an application of it in a material realm. Exactly right. Exactly right. So uh, Randy's first point in his email was don't try to uh, – the mistake you might make is trying to borrow your way out of trouble. That typically doesn't work financially or spiritually. Number two, he says Christians are prone to forget that no matter what our income, it all comes from God, and he wants us to give part of it back to him. So Randy comments about our need to be – uh, giving, uh, contributing uh, on the first day of the week, the the when we take up a collection for the work of the Lord, as taught in First Corinthians chapter sixteen verses one through three, Second uh, Corinthians nine verses six through nine, and so forth. Those passages that teach us that we ought to be generous in our giving. I think it would be a big mistake, Brian. You might comment on this. I mean, I'm I'm facing hard times. I've, uh, my bills are up. My income's down. So probably I just won't give anything this Lord's Day. You know, I don't know. Maybe I give, you know, 20 bucks a week. This week I'm not going to give any. I'm going to keep that 20 bucks and use it for something else. That's just a, an example. What what would you say about someone who approaches their trouble by cutting back on their contribution? Well, I think you have to look at it from a standpoint of our priorities. And we realize that our first priority should always be the Lord. And once we establish that, once we put our trust and our faith in God, we have to realize that everything else will kind of fall in line after that. And so when you think about, you know, the situation that many of us, I'm sure, have been faced with, with economic times, 
getting tough. We have bills coming on, and all of a sudden we have this extra expense trying to give to the Lord. And so I think there's, you know, first of all, even if we overcome the problem of just giving itself, I think, you know, there's a lot of times where it's easy to say, okay, I know I need to do this. I need to give to the Lord. So I go there on Sunday morning and I, you know, write the check out like I do every Sunday, but also making sure that that attitude is there too, because I think that's just as important as the actual act itself. You know, with these tough economic times coming on us, are we maintaining our responsibility in giving, but also, you know, are we giving not grudgingly? Are we giving out of the abundance, out of the love of our hearts? Exactly right. So it, as you said, it's a matter of priority. And if, if, econ, if, if, if some difficult economic times can cause us to completely abandon our priorities, our priorities weren't very good to start with. Right. Right. Uh, I remember in the book of Haggai, the prophet rebuked uh, the, the people of God back then because they were taking care of their own wants and needs and neglecting the service of God. He said in Haggai chapter 1, verse 4, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house to lie in waste? In other words, they, their houses were finished. They had ceilings and they were all fixed and finished the way that you would expect a house. Uh, the, I think the New American Standard Version there says they had their paneled houses. They were finished and God's house was lying in waste. And the prophet rebuked them because they were taking care of their own business and neglecting God's. And uh, we, we can't do that even even when faced with tough times, we've got to have a priority toward God that would say, I'm not going to uh, – and I'm not saying that a person might not have to at some point cut back on his contribution, but he's going to – he's going that, to. that's not going to be the first place that he looks, don't you think, Jim? Right. You know, the, the question in dealing with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is not, is this a command of God that we are to obey in good times? The question is, is this a command of God we are to obey? And so whether it's good times or bad times, there's still a responsibility that exists. You know, one thing that uh want to get back to thinking about the idea of not uh, having a knee-jerk reaction. In Luke chapter 14, uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 28, Jesus said, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation, and he is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. And I think one of the principles there is that Jesus is just telling us that there are some things we need to think about before we do them. There's some planning uh, that needs to take place. If I, if I can present an example that, that I've, I've often used in life, when I was learning to drive, I went to a driver's ed place when I lived in, in, in Massachusetts, grew up in Boston. And the driver's ed guy was just this old fella, and he was always, he was showing these films that were just these awful films from the 50s that all of us uh, young people hated. But the whole process was, he said, you've got a plan. He said, when you're driving down the road, you've got to assume that if you see a ball, someone's going to run after the ball. If you're driving down a street that's got uh, automobiles on either side, assume somebody is going to open a door. In other words, you plan to say to yourself, what am I going to do if this happens? And I've made that application throughout my life in driving and try to make that application in other areas. What are we going to do if? And then you plan and say, here's what I'm going to do if this situation happens, and then you're ready. And with respect to God's will, if you do put God's, God first, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking there in verses 31 through 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you put God first and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do no matter what, and plan to do those things, then when something negative happens, you're not going to step back and say, should I or shouldn't I? You'll know. 
That's right. And, and along that line, if, if I have so obligated myself with payments on things I want, big screen TVs and new cars and fine houses and vacations, now I'm still contributing because, man, it's been good economic times. I've been able to work a lot of overtime. I've been making extra money. And so I've been able to contribute, at, but I've also been able to really obligate myself with tons of payments. Well, that's short-sighted because times are not always going to be good, and we need to be able to live in such a fashion that we don't have to completely realign our spiritual priorities just because we hit a, a rough spot in the economic road. And so I, I think some of the looking ahead would be to realize there will be some times when I don't have so much, and even in those times I want to be able to put God first and and, and liberally and cheerfully give to his cause. And, and be able to make a decision in life that in effect says, what can I do without? Not what do I want to keep, but what is absolutely necessary and set up your budget that way. Exactly right. Well, we're up to break time, so we're going to take a break here. Uh, we're going to be back in just a minute to continue this discussion. We want to hear from you. Remember, give us a phone call, 877-381-4567, or email us at questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the web page can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're glad you're out there on the Internet listening. And we hope that you'll also participate as we continue to discuss what I think is an important subject, especially in light of all the current events that we're hearing on the news about the economy, about the tough economic times, we're talking about how a Christian should view such times in light of what the Bible teaches us about uh, such things. And so we uh, got one more point. Uh, I want to touch real quickly on a point from Randy in Jackson, Missouri. He said another mistake that, that Christians could be tempted to make at a time like this is that they could forget that it is the obligation of the church to help brothers and sisters in need. They need to make their needs known to the church and accept help when it's offered. You know, that's something we probably haven't even thought about for years and years, that 
Uh, I, I'm sure Christians had to think about it back in Depression times and so forth. There may, we may get into a situation where, where brethren have serious benevolent needs, food, clothing, shelter. And part of our role in the church is to provide for that. We're not a general benevolent society, but we do have an obligation taught in the scriptures to assist needy saints uh, as as a church. Now, individually, we can help lots of people. Everybody that's that's legitimately needed, uh, legitimately needed, can be helped by uh, Christians. But as a church, we we have an obligation to help the benevolent needs of our brethren, and that might become a reality. Right. And you, you think about the situation in the book of Acts and the, the church unfolding. One of the first things we read about after those uh, 3,000 that are baptized on the day of Pentecost is they're, they're sharing one with another, not just their faith, but whatever the needs were. Uh, you move to uh, Acts chapter 4 and you find out about this individual, Barnabas, and how it is that he is a giving person. And then you look at the, the Grecian widows and the uh, Jewish widows being taken care of in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 11 talks about the, the need for a contribution for the poor saints in Judea. So uh, there is a a theme that that runs its way throughout the unfolding of the church and the growing of the church in that God provided a way for brethren to take care of brethren. Exactly right. So I I had not thought about that. I appreciate Randy bringing that to our attention. That's something we've got to be mindful of. We've got to be perceptive to people's needs. And if we're such a person in need, we need to be humble enough to admit the need and accept the help that brethren might be able to provide us in such times as that. And so we've got to be open to that. We have been through a number of decades where that has not been a great issue. There, there have been isolated cases where we have had to provide benevolent help, and we should and we have. But it may become a greater need, and so we've got to be prepared to do that. I appreciate Randy's thoughts along that line. I got an email from Don in Antioch, Tennessee, who said, I think one of the biggest mistakes is to let it get you down to the point that it creates family tensions, nervousness, and a sense of giving up. This emotional stress affects the entire family, especially the kids, worse than the loss of money and the many sacrifices that have to be made. If left unchecked, the stress will lead to depression, divorce, even suicide. Uh, so he's saying, uh, fellas, that we got to be careful not to let this affect us and our outlook so much that it causes all kind of trouble in our families, in our personal life. Uh, we were commenting on the break, and I think our, our bumper there at the end of the break suggested a passage in Hebrews chapter 13 that might uh, really fit uh, this part of our discussion. Uh, Brian, you got that? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. All right, so... We, we should have some confidence and and not be just com- always torn up about financial uh, situations, Jim. Well, you know, again, it, it, part of the problem that we often deal with is the realization it's easy to talk about these things before they happen. You know, it's easy to talk about what am I going to do in financial uh, financial difficulty? What am I going to do if I get depressed? What am I going to do if I feel that sense of anxiety and hopelessness? So we need to make preparation now. Uh, you know, when James is talking in uh, James chapter 4, He says in verse 13, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. So we don't know what the future holds for us. That doesn't mean we should be negative. It just means that we cannot determine that everything is going to work perfectly. And so we should expect not only that life won't always be the way we want it to be, but to prepare for that and not allow the problems of life to dictate how we live. Exactly right. Um, 
Brian, I think you might have an email from Sue who mentions the idea of, of uh, dealing with these kind of things and the stress that could be avoided if, if all family members are careful. You want to read that one? Yeah, Sue mentioned a passage in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 24, that said, It is better to live in a corner of the roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. And I think it does kind of go back to his comment when he talked about the example of you know husbands and wives and their attitude showing through, especially to the children and the problems it can create. And so I think there's a responsibility here, not only of the wife, but also of the husband. We can read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where the husband's commanded to live with his wife with understanding. So there should be an understanding there, and I think the preparation goes a lot into that, to displaying those correct attitudes, displaying the attitudes of contentment, so that when these hard financial times do come, that there's not the depression, there's not the anger, there's not the fighting between the husband and yeah. wife that so often we see. Well, we hear all the time that one of the one of the leading causes of divorce is financial strife in the family. Um, well, and 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 that that's true. Financial strife can cause that, but financial strife that has not been addressed in the way Don suggests, in the way that we believe we should from the Bible. So I think that's a good point that Don makes, and we appreciate him bringing that to our attention. Uh, we're waiting to hear from you. If you have a thought along these lines, what are some mistakes people make? That's our that's our first point for consideration. What are some of the mistakes that people make in dealing with difficult financial times? What what might we as Christians fail to do? Uh, or, or make mistakes when it comes to dealing with issues that even the present-day economic crisis may be bringing into our lives. We want to hear from you. If you have not done so already, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, or give us a phone call, 877-381-4567. i got an email coming in from Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama, who says, I think the biggest mistake Christians can make when money is tight is to cut out giving. Now, if the cash inflow is reduced, then the total amount given can justifiably be reduced. But I think the percentage income given should still be substantial. I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I think 10% is still the standard we should judge our giving by. We should give to the local church, and we should still remember the needy of the community, the poor, the widows, the orphans. We should still do what we can to help them. In fact, we should especially remember them. If we who are well off are having it harder... Consider the impact upon those who are already in a difficult place. This is the one way in which God tells us to test him. He promises to open the windows of heaven, and Jesus tells us to give generously and cheerfully because God will give back to us in good measure, pressed down, running over. I don't want to sound like a prosperity gospel advocate, but the promise is there. I think that's true, and that's one of the points that I would want to make, and I appreciate Patrick's comments there. we got to continue to trust God. Because there are certain promises that he's made to us that deal with such issues as this, and we should believe that he will keep the promises that he's made. I, I, I fully agree with that. You know, There's a realization that no matter what type of difficulty we find ourselves in, God is still God. He's not a good God when times are good and a bad God when times are bad. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And our relationship with him should not be dependent upon how the world treats us. Our relationship with him should be dependent upon how he has provided for us. And so that concept of trust is just the realization, maybe I'm going through a difficult time now, but God still loves me, God still cares for me, and God still deserves the best that I can provide for him. Exactly right. King David said in Psalm 37, verse 25, he said, I've been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And you know, I, uh, I'm sure I haven't seen all that King David has said, but I think I would have to agree with him that, that in my experience, that, that the truly faithful people of God, I've not seen them going begging. 
That's not to say they've always had an abundance or, uh, you know, uh, an excess, but I've not, I've not seen the truly faithful people of God going begging. Right. Again, if we're doing what God says we need to do, if we're faithful in our worship to him, if we've been giving as we prospered all along and uh, we have been kind and considerate and compassionate and to our brethren, then when difficult times come, people are going to rally around us. People are going to help us. We've experienced that, and I sh- I'm sure that brethren all over have experienced that. And, you know, one thing that we often have to think about, we certainly don't want to downplay the situation that people find themselves in economic difficulty, and there is an anxiety that does exist, and there is a feeling sometimes of of hopelessness. But, you know, when we compare our standard of living in this country to what exists in other countries, there is really no comparison. We were talking today about being in Russia, and, you know, nothing against our our brethren or or people in Russia, but, you know, when you make a comparison to the way things are in the U.S. and the way things are in some places there – there's no comparison. We just no, no, don't no. understand sometimes how greatly blessed we are as a yeah, country. Yeah, I've often said I think it'd do every every American some good to travel to another country. Oh, for sure, definitely. Yeah. You know, because uh, you've got to appreciate what we have a lot more when you most do that. definitely. Yes, yeah, exactly right. So uh, I, I think that Patrick made a good point here is that that we need to re- remember the promises of God and don't don't. As we already mentioned earlier, but don't give up on your giving. That, that and he mentions ten percent. I, I like the way he put it. I think that's sort of a, a standard starting spot. It, uh, we, we're not enforcing the tithe. We don't believe that we can or should from the New Testament. New Testament doesn't teach a, a commanded tithe. But if that's what God, we've often said even on this program, if that's what God expected in Old Testament times, why would we imagine that He would expect less from us? That's a good place. So, but as he said, if I was making five hundred dollars last week and I gave fifty. But I'm only making 250 this week. Then 25 is, you know, maybe the place where I talk about. Uh, so I may have to reduce my giving, but I I shouldn't necessarily think about reducing the percentage of my giving is what he suggests. I think that's probably a good rule. Yeah, if you if you've got people that deal with uh, uh, an income that's based on commission, you know, maybe car sales or insurance sales or something like that, then you realize there's going to be good weeks and bad weeks, good months and bad months, you know. That's right. And so you're going to adjust your giving accordingly, but you're not going to give up on giving. So appreciate Patrick's good comments. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we want to hear from you. We're going to move to the part of our discussion that says, you know, what are the most important biblical principles that Christians need to remember in these times? And and we'd love to hear from you. Give us a phone call, 877-381-4567. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love we'd questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call or an email during this break. We'll be right back. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Hunters of various sorts, duck, goose, turkey, etc., are known to use decoys in their pursuit of game. The idea is to distract the attention of the animal with decoys. In the process of this distraction, a couple of things are supposed to happen. First, the hunted object will imagine that, because others of its breed are present, this is a good place to be. Additionally, the lurking hunter and the danger he poses will be less conspicuous, hopefully not noticed at all. This technique, when properly employed, can be very successful. The people of God are being hunted on a continual basis. 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says that our adversary, the devil, is constantly lurking about, seeking whom he may devour. And he uses many devices, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The decoy method that we described a moment ago is one of his most effective tools. Notice how it works. First, our attention is drawn to the fact that lots of others are involved in a particular activity. It must be okay, we reason, because everybody's doing it. Never mind the fact that we have been warned concerning following a multitude to do evil, Exodus 23, verse 2. Disregard the clear admonitions that we cannot know right and wrong by observing the actions of others, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. God's word may clearly condemn the deed, but the decoys have drawn us in. We develop a false sense of security because so many others are involved. The popularity of drinking, dancing, immodest dress, and so forth are all used by Satan in the process of tempting us to engage in the same sinful acts. And then secondly, of course, Satan himself and his dastardly ambition to ruin us for all eternity is hidden from our view by these decoys. Like the hunter in the blind, shrouded in camouflage, Satan is a master of deception. When hunting with decoys, it is not uncommon for the hunted prey to recognize the plot at the last moment, but usually it's too late to avoid the shotgun blast. May it never be so with our souls. Be sober. Be vigilant, says 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Uh, it's a special Thanksgiving edition of the Virtual Bible Study, and uh, we're glad that you're out there listening. Uh, our, our feedback is a little slow tonight, Jim. I think maybe people have eaten the turkey. And what is that, tryptophan or something that's in turkey that makes you sleepy? They may have fallen asleep and forgot to turn on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Well, it's, it's possible that's the situation, but it also could be that there are a lot of people who are just very thankful today that's and they're right. spending that time with their family. That's right. But, you know, and I was thinking in tough economic times, well, we'll get to this, but thankfulness on Thanksgiving Day is a good thing, even if times are tough. We've got. You were saying how much we've got as Americans, how blessed we are. Well, I was making an assumption that that was part of the reason you chose this subject. Right, it was. Now, okay, it well, really that's was. what I was thinking. Yeah. You know, here we have a day that we, you know, typically put aside to think about the concept of thankfulness, and yet because of the the pressure of the, the culture, it really is designed for gluttony, you know. Yeah. So here we're dealing with the subject that uh, goes against that, to, to think about being thankful to God, whether there are good times or bad times, because God is still in control. He, he watches over us, and he takes care of us, and we can always be thankful for that. Yeah, that's right. Brian, I think you've got a text there uh, that was suggested in an email concerning God's blessing to his people. Yeah, the... Uh mentioned Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Uh, it says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And I think that's just a great text to support what we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Right. You know, if you give of the willingness and you just give of that abundance, then it's going to be given back to you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of his people. He's promised to do so. Uh, as Patrick mentioned in his email that we are reading a minute ago, we're not we're not approaching it as one of these health and wealth um, preachers might preach. You know, that Joel Olstein uh, preaches, you know, that if you give, then you're going to get rich by, by giving. God's never promised these people that they would necessarily be rich. In fact, if you look at, at the, the, the faithful of people of God throughout the ages, typically they have not been abundantly rich, but they've, their needs have been met. And so we're, we're not promising great wealth. 
But we are promising what God – we are accepting the promise that God has made, and that is that he'll take care of us. Something well, better I, than wealth. Exactly I'd, like right. to, I'd like to disagree with that. Go I ahead. think God does promise us great wealth. Just not here. That's right. That's right. Not, not, not physical wealth. Not physical wealth. Exactly but, right. you know, in, in dealing with this subject matter tonight, and as you brought up that subject matter, and, again, I think it's a good one because it is something that, that applies to everybody today. People are going to be affected by the, the economic situation. We go through our Bible, and maybe as you've done or maybe as, as Brian did when we were thinking about this subject, you know, first you do a search on thinking about money or coins or finances, but then you find out in looking at many different scriptures that there is an application that can be made. You take the, the concept of what's over man soweth, that shall he also reap. That deals with the financial aspect just as well as it could deal with the spiritual aspect. If I'm willing to do what God says I'm willing to do with the effort and the excitement, then I recognize he's going to provide for me. Whatever I put in, he's going to help me to get out. Exactly right. Exactly right. I've got a, uh, an article was sent to me uh, written by Edwin Crozier, our friend up in Franklin, and he mentioned some of the things uh, that we should remember, uh, keep in mind. He says, first, seek God's kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yes, that still applies during an economic recession. It still applies even in depression. No, God didn't promise that we would live in a nice house, drive nice cars, wear nice clothes, but he did promise to take care of us if we sought his kingdom and righteousness first. We need to remember that stocks, bonds, insurance plans, and savings accounts will not take care of us in the long run. God can and will if he is our priority. No, that doesn't mean throw financial caution to the wind, running up debt, wasting money, and then expecting God to bail us out. It means making serving God a priority, even if you think it will cost you money if you do that, God promises to take care of you. So I think uh, that's along the lines of some of the things that we have been commenting about. And uh, I think Edwin's on the mark there with those with those observations. So let's move to the part of our discussion. Uh, we, we talked about some of the mistakes that can be made. Let's let's move. And I, I know there's some overlap in, the, in this, but let's talk about the things that we need to remember, the biblical principles that we need to remember as Christians uh, and I go to uh, Patrick's email from Birmingham. He says, uh, I touched on this in the first part of the answer, but he says, I think that the most important thing to remember is that God will take care of us. We need not worry. The lilies neither toil nor spin, but they are clothed more splendidly than King Solomon is in his glory. The birds of the air do not store up in barns, but God indeed gives them their daily bread. We are made in God's image and likeness. We are more important than any animal. We can trust God to care for us in our need. And we've talked quite a bit about that, but I think Patrick does a good job of sort of summarizing that idea that we need to trust God uh, even when times are tough. Any thoughts, guys? Well, one thought is just the realization that all of what he said, you know, in, in looking at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 26 through 33, all of what he says, of course, is true. But sometimes what people forget is that, uh, just because God is going to take care of me and I have the utmost love and care and trust in God, it doesn't mean then that I just sit back and do nothing. When we look at verse 33, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So there's a realization that I have to be doing something. You know, it may be that I'm hitting the proverbial brick wall when I go out and I look for a job, or it may be that I'm I'm looking at some difficult financial times, but I still have to be about the business of doing what I can, not only in remaining faithful to God, but in taking care of my family and putting forth the effort, uh, the realization that God is going to take care of me doesn't mean that I can sit back then and do nothing. I think that's exactly right. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, in verse 10, the, the apostle said a very simple principle. 
when we were, even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And so God, it is a godly principle that says you do what you can. We trust God and we believe his promises, but that doesn't mean that we're not making our effort too to provide for our families and so forth. And so we, we put forth the effort and then we trust God to, to make it all work. I think that is exactly right. Uh, Don from Antioch says, uh, due to the current season we're in, I'll be bold enough to say that a lot of the stress that he mentioned earlier, stress and being careful about letting this get us all stressed out. But he says a lot of the stress could be eliminated if we would all quit this ungodly Santa Claus worship and follow biblical principles concerning greed and covetousness. Uh, I'm not I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm exactly in the same uh, place that Don is about Santa Claus and, and Christmas. I, I think I think Don maybe thinks that any observance of uh, a, a special time such as Christmas and gift giving might be wrong. I, I'm not sure exactly where Don is on that. Uh, we would agree absolutely that there's no Bible authority for a religious observance of Christmas. We'll say that. But having made that observation, even in regards to those who believe that they might give gifts at this time of year, if they're going to, if, if the gift giving is going to be such that it adds to the stress that we're already in because of difficult financial times, that'd be almost crazy to do that, silly to do that. Well, you know, a lot of people, I think what I got from what he's saying is that a lot of people do, they rack up all that money on their credit cards and they go into a huge amount of debt just so that they can, uh, play Santa Claus, that they can provide things for their children. But you know, there, there are greater things we can provide our family than, than gifts that are bought in the store that are gonna uh, eventually uh, be destroyed. You know, if we give them a faithful and, and uh, a good example of, of a godly individual, if, if husbands love their wives, wives love their husbands, parents love their children, you know, that's the type of household that is gonna get you through any type of, of difficult economic time. It'd be better to give your family a, 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 a sense of security and confidence and not not stressed out and worried about finances it, it, that's a better atmosphere for raising a family than than to go out and run up a lot of debt so they can have a lot of toys and other things and he he mentions the problems of greed and covetousness right and i think right. that is a, an issue in our society for sure we've commented about that many times on our program but it's certainly a thing for us to remember we are the we are the most blessed people in the history of the world, and therefore every warning in the Bible about covetousness applies to us especially. I think it really does. I've definitely experienced that a lot in college with a lot of the classes that I take and a lot of the organizations that I'm in. They're always pushing you to, in effect, never be satisfied, to never be content. They always want you to you know, go farther, you know, get a better degree, get a better paying job, do more, do more, do more, to always increase self. And I think when you look back at it, um, you know, presence, money, riches can't—they can't buy happiness. That's they, right. Yeah, that, that's def, definitely true. And I think that we have to realize that as Christians. First uh, Timothy chapter six and verse six says, "Now godliness with contentment is great gain." And that's the kind of great gain we're looking for—not the gain of having more presents under the tree on Christmas Day or the gain of having a better car, a better house, but the gain of having uh, the blessed assurance that comes from uh, a godly and a righteous life. Exactly right. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things he possesseth. And so Jesus said, you don't measure your life by all the things you have, but modern man typically does. We've got to be on guard against greed and covetousness, and especially in times like this. And then one more thought from Don's email. He says, having said that, our strong faith will help us be content in whatever state we're in, while accepting the challenge with the attitude that, when we lay down at night, we know that 
in the day just finished, we did everything righteous that could have been done to make things better. Um, I don't know if I would have said it the same way Don said it, but I think it sort of reflects the attitude the Apostle Paul had in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how uh, how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul, by all accounts, was a wealthy man before he decided to become a Christian. So he he had lived in in abundance. He gave that all up in order to, in fact, in the same book of Philippians chapter 3, he said those things that were gained for me, those I counted lost for Christ. He gave all of that up in order to serve Christ and and had suffered in some poverty and some hardship. And yet he said he could be content in any of those conditions because his trust was in the Lord. And if we have trust in the Lord, it's going to help us to have that kind of an outlook on life. Well, when you look at whether we're looking at the Lord or whether we're looking at Paul or whether we're looking at Peter, there is no pressure to get gain. In fact, there's a realization of the the fallacy of thinking that if I have more of the world's goods, I'm going to be better off. There is, uh, there's a realization that's just, just the opposite of that. If we look at all the, the different people in the world who we would consider to have been uh, the super rich or the super wealthy, uh, we don't see their lives as being the type of lives that we would like to live. We find people who are simple, godly people are the ones that we want to emulate. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, let me go to uh, Randy's email. Randy, oh, well, before I do that, we're up to break time. Let's take this final break, and then we're going to top the hour, finish this discussion about uh, biblical principles uh, that we should remember in these tough economic times. We've got time for you to get in with an email or a phone call. Let us know, 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back for our final segment. We're going to go to the top of the hour talking about these tough economic times and how we should view them as Christians. 
We're glad for all of you who are listening tonight, and we seek your participation. Give us a call or send us an email. Um, we've got, uh, we mentioned earlier an email from our friend Randy in Jackson, Missouri, and he said, here's the important biblical principles Christians need to remember. He says, there's a big difference between what you need and what you want. Be sure to define need in its strictest sense based upon absolute standards, not the standards of America, not the standards of your neighbors, not the standard of what you've been used to having. I think that's a good point. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in what we refer to as the model prayer, some people call it the Lord's Prayer. We think it's better referred to as the model prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, remember he said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice Jesus taught to pray for daily bread. He didn't say pray for a big house and a new car and a great vacation to Florida. Right. Well, you think about where a lot of us were, say, 30 years ago. You know, there were there were no cell phones, no iPods, no personal computers, no cable TV. Uh, We seem to live a a pretty good life. And then as all of these things get added, there is a pressure to have those things. If you don't have the latest gadget, if you don't have the biggest, if you don't have something that displays the the newest technology, then there is a a pressure by our culture to say, well, you're behind the times. I mean, how many people have, you know, rotary dial phones anymore? You know, but we all grew up with that. And we didn't think there was, you know, there was anything terrible about that. But there is such a pressure today to keep up with the Joneses or whoever the the standard may be in having all these things that we really could get along without. That's right. And that's what Randy said. You know, the standard is not what your neighbors have <coughs> or what you're used to having. You know, it's what you have to have. You have to have, right. And then he says, <coughs> oh, excuse me, remember the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, this very subject, Jesus told us that if God takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he will take care of his children. At the close of that section, Jesus said to focus on seeking first his righteousness, not the provisions of the world. Excuse me, and that's you've mentioned that a couple of times, and that is a text that certainly is appropriate to think about at these times. Well, well, well it is, you know, and uh, you know, Brian, certainly jump in anytime you want. But you know, the thought process is to say, you know, am I to serve God only during good times, or am I to serve God during good times and bad times? And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He said, you know, the Gentiles, verse thirty-one. Therefore, take no thought, saying. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed, or if anything hits a microphone or anything like that? We're not supposed to be worried about the problems of life, because that's what people who don't have God worry about. If God is our Father and he's watching over us, he knows about the problems in our life, and we should have enough love and and trust in God that he's going to help us to get through these difficult times. Exactly right. if you wondered what on earth that noise was so from off camera there, we uh, uh, I was choking and someone was throwing me a breath mint or I mean a, a throat lozenge and it hit the microphone. So that's what happened there. Uh, <clears throat> guess who's emailing us? We've got an email from Jacob who's visiting with his in-laws tonight down in Florida. And he says things to remember. And these are, he, he's talking about some of the things. I think a lot of people are on the same page here. He says, first, remember that God's people will always have what they need. And he references that exact passage, Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Second, he says we need to remember that the extra stuff is not important. He references Luke 12, verse 15. Take heed, beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Then he says the absence of physical prosperity helps us to keep a spiritual focus. 
He references James 2, verse 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? Jim, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know what, we need is a good depression to get people thinking about spiritual things again. I don't know if I don't know if we really need a depression, but but it is undeniably true that in times of prosperity, people stop thinking about God. Well, and, you know, when you go back and you look, say, at the book of Judges, you know, we see, you know, sometimes in studying the book of Judges, we talk about this cyclical situation where when the times were good, uh, people were faithful to God, and then uh, they began to fall away, and then they began to cry to God, and when they had some spiritual depression, then God relieved them, and they came back to the good times. And sometimes that happens to us today, too. And I know what people are saying when they say we need a good depression. I think, in effect, uh, I don't think that we need to have people suffer in order for them to really understand who God is. But I think what someone, when someone says that what they mean is that it focuses your priorities to learn what we really do need. You know, if we had to get along with just a home and utilities as, you know, electricity and food and clothing, we could do it. We could do without the cable TV. We could do without the Internet, except for the, the virtual, virtual Bible, Bible study. Right. That's right. Uh, but, I mean, you know, if we had to, we, we could do without all of those things. Exactly right. And so we, we do, as, as Jacob mentions, realize that sometimes the abundance, the prosperity keeps us from thinking about God. I'm reminded, and I think we mentioned this last week on the virtual Bible study in Deuteronomy chapter six, Moses warned the people that when they, he says, Deuteronomy six, verse 10, it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not. And houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So Moses saw that was a danger, a potential danger that needed to be guarded against. Abundance, prosperity can keep us from thinking about God, right? I think it certainly can. I think it all gets back to uh, setting the standard. We mentioned time and time again the attitude we should have, the attitude of contentment. But, you know, what are we content with? Um, in that same uh, chapter, First Timothy chapter 6, just a couple of verses down, in verse 8, it says, Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. And I think so many people have lost that, like you've mentioned earlier, with all the things that have come out in the recent years, the new technology, the new personal creature comforts that we have. You know, people are content, but are they really content with food and clothing, like the Bible says, or are we really content with such a higher standard, one that we don't have an example of? Exactly right. <clears throat> Jacob ends his email by saying, as a result, we can be happy during difficult times, unless I should, and then he's got here Second Corinthians 12, beginning verse 7, lest I should, Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So, again, uh, even in difficulty, Paul could use that to even be drawn closer to God. Usually when, when things don't go well, Jim, there, there's 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 one of two possibilities. One is that it will cause us to turn away from God. Another is that we can use that to even draw closer to God. Of course, that's the 
that's the alternative we need to follow. Well, right, you know, in, in realizing when things don't go well in life, even though we've planned for them, one of the things that shows us is that we don't have control over the events of life. It is God that has control over those events. And, you know, I'm reminded of Jesus dealing with uh, the devil in Matthew chapter 4 when uh, the devil says to him in verse 3, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And then Jesus answered, Matthew 4, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Do you think we can make an application in realizing that if the Savior would not use the power that he had to provide food to sustain himself, but answered the temptation by saying we need to rely upon God's word, that we can make an application of that same thing today with respect to the financial problems that people are going to face. I think you're exactly right. Got an email. Real quick. Go ahead, Brian. I think also that we can use financial struggles as a wonderful opportunity. Um, I think in 2 Corinthians about the Macedonians who in, you know, of their poverty, they, they gave after first giving themselves to the Lord. I think people notice that. That's right. People certainly notice that. If you see that there's tough economic times, but you see a Christian who still has the proper attitude, is still giving abundantly, that can be a wonderful example of our faith to others. Someone might say, I, I, I've been watching Brian, and he's, he's, his finances are as tough as anybody else's, but he still seems to be staying focused. He seems happy. He's not, he's not uh, you know, reacting badly to, to right. the pressures. And then, then they may say, Brian, how are you doing that? And it opens the door to be able to share your faith with them. Right. Good Good point. We got an email from Arthur in Cullioka, Tennessee, who, who simply sends us a biblical reference from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's just that's just what you were talking about. Brian, right. even and that's exactly a description of someone suffering some pretty tough times, but still being able to have a, a, a joy in the Lord. And that's a good point. Appreciate appreciate you listening, Arthur, and appreciate that good comment. A uh, couple other points. Uh, I mentioned an article that was sent to us written by Edwin Crozier. He says another thing we need to do is take one day at a time. If Matthew five thirty four, let tomorrow worry about itself, Jesus said. We simply need to face today. You know what? The economy may come crashing down next Monday, but it hasn't crashed yet today. Next Monday may be really rotten. It may be the most horrible day of our lives. Who knows? But today is not so bad. We've eaten today. We're still able to access our Internet today. We're living in our homes today. Let's not make today rotten by focusing on how rotten it might be next week. So I think that's a pretty good point. Take it a day at a time. No telling what the next day may bring. We'll just deal with it each day as it comes. And then he mentions that we need to share. Uh, he says this is uh, the hard one. This is, uh, he says, financial ruin looms around the corner. Our natural reaction is to hoard. If I don't take care of me, who will, people think. I need to look out for number one. But he says we need to remember instead that sharing on an individual level is how God expects us to take care of each other, not government bailouts. When times are good, we need to share those blessings. When times are bad, we need to share what blessings we have. I think the uh, I think of the story that I'm sure I read in one of those chicken soup for the soul books, the poor family in our church, and then he goes on, to, oh he goes on to describe. I'm not going to read all of that. He says the sad fact is that those who have the least to share are often the most generous. We as Christians need to share. I think it's a good point. We commented a little bit that about that earlier, but I think that's a really good point. Well, it is, and you know I don't think anybody has a 
uh, a question about our need to share. I think part of the time is that we often feel we're the ones who should be the recipients of that and not realizing that, you know, as, as Brian mentioned earlier in thinking about Second Corinthians chapter 8, how the Macedonian saints were uh, used as an example as Paul was inspired to show that individuals who did not have much could still display a godly attitude of giving. Exactly right. They were a great example. Finally, one more email quickly. Arthur has sent in one another scripture reference from Job. Remember, Job had all those troubles, uh, and uh, yet he said in Job chapter 1, verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And so in that, Job certainly set a notable example. And then in chapter 13 of Job, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Even in hard times, we've got to do what's right and live right. Appreciate those good thoughts from Arthur. Well, we're out of time, but I think we've had a worthwhile discussion. Uh, we are facing uncertain economic times, but the Bible gives us some real helps and insights uh, in how to deal with them. Jim, thanks for your thoughts and participation tonight. Thank you, Greg. We appreciate being here. Brian? Definitely, definitely appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, thanks. Glad to have you guys here. Appreciate your help on the program tonight. Well, that wraps up our study for tonight. We're glad for all who are listening. We hope you had a good Thanksgiving day, and we appreciate you by for making the virtual Bible study the final part of your day today. We certainly do have great promises from God and His Word, and we can take comfort and confidence in them. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. Lord willing, we'll be back next Thursday night, same time, same place. Plan to be here. Make a point. Write it on your calendar. Uh, don't forget to participate in the virtual Bible study next week. Until that time, read your Bible, study it every day, live by it. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.